50% of marriages end in divorce. But when you're raising a kid with special needs, that 50% jumps all the way up to 80%. That's crazy, right? 80% of marriages ends in divorce. But I totally get it. All of the normal stresses are multiplied. And you're not only raising a child, but you're raising a child who needs the right doctor, the right school, the right therapies. You might have speech therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy and ABA therapy. Maybe you're dealing with neurologists or doctors or specialists, insurance companies. If both of you are working, it's likely that one of you has to quit their job to take care of your special needs child. But I know that even with all of the pressure and stress, it's still very possible to have a good marriage. I know this because me and my husband, Zach, have worked really hard to protect that marriage. And the payoff is worth all of the effort. So I am really excited because today joining me on the podcast is my husband, Zach. Isn't that exciting? I'm kind of excited. I think you're going to love him. He's going to talk about how we met. He'll talk about what it was like to see Remy have a seizure for the first time. He'll talk about what's worked in our marriage and what hasn't worked. And we'll share a couple fun stories. So thank you so much for joining me and listening to this conversation. Before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to ask you to reach out to me and say hello. I love getting to know you. It is amazing. So I hang out on Instagram a lot. I'm also on Facebook, although I haven't been really that good at checking Facebook. So find me on Instagram. And if you want to say hello to Zach, you can email him at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at ProfitableMedia.com. And he's also on social media. And the links will be in the show notes on where you can contact me and where you can contact Zach. So without further ado, here is the amazing, wonderful love of my life, Zach. Hello, and welcome to Accepting the Unacceptable, a podcast for you, the parent raising a child with autism, epilepsy, or other neurological differences. My five-year-old daughter, Remy, has autism and a rare seizure disorder called PCDH19. I believe there is no better parent for your child than you, and it is my mission to show you that you don't have to just survive parenthood, but you can thrive. Each week, we dive into a topic or talk to an expert that can help equip us with the tools that we need to be our best. I'm your host, Jody Warshawski, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Zach. Hey, Jody. Thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm super excited to be here in the podcast studio today and uh, ready to do this. Oh my gosh, we have to talk about this podcast studio. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you about my side of the studio and Jody can tell you about her side of the studio. I'm in my office and uh, I'm talking into a square wood box that I built for Jody that uh, has towels stapled all around it to uh, prevent the sound from reverberating. And Jody 
I'm in our room. So originally we were going to do this episode in our room because there's drapes and carpet and a bed. Actually, there's three beds because the girls sleep in here too. So it's good sound quality compared to the rest of our house. And we didn't end up going with that plan, but that was the plan. And um, we had a little hiccup because the cleaning ladies were scheduled to come right when we were going to do our interview. (laughs) You got to tell them what you said to the cleaning lady. (laughs) So Jody's sitting on the couch and I'm telling the cleaning ladies because they came kind of late and they were preventing us from starting this recording. And so I told her, I said, can you guys please start up in the master bedroom? Because, and as I'm saying this, I have to dig deep because I don't know how to now make this sound appropriate because we're going to be having a meeting in there. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting on the couch going, oh my God, (laughs) that that didn't sound right at all. She's probably going, ew. (laughs) After I say this, I'm just like, oh no, that came out completely wrong. But anyways, they finished that up and then freed up our recording studio. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I'm really glad that you're here. I've been talking on this podcast now for 17 episodes, and everybody wants to meet you. So thank you for coming, Zach. And in this episode, I want to focus on talking about how we make our marriage good. And the reason why this is such a good topic is because I think the statistic is 50% of marriages end in divorce, but when you have a marriage that is taking care of a special needs child, I think the statistic is about 85% of marriages end in divorce. And I think that our marriage is pretty good. Hasn't always been, but I wanted to just get your perspective on things because we've had to work at it. Absolutely. And you know, your version and my version are different and we've made it work. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on how to have a successful marriage while raising kids and then especially ones with complex needs like Remy with autism and epilepsy. I think let's start, let's start from the beginning. Like, how did we meet? (laughs) I'll try to keep my stories short. I'm known to be long-winded, but uh, Jody and I grew up right next door to each other. So there was one house between our houses. And Jody is a little younger than me. I won't say how many years. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she was my younger sister's best friend through childhood. We met that way and we've known each other since we were little littles. But uh, the romantic interest um, began as we were a little older. (laughs) You know, the first meeting, the first meeting, though, I was five. Okay. And your mom was babysitting me. Mm-hmm. You were 12. And um, I was riding the tricycle in the backyard. And I went to the side gate. You had this scary monster mask on the other side of the gate. And you were like, Rawr! and it gave me nightmares for weeks. So that was my first memory of you. I was avoiding this story because I didn't <laughs> want people to think that I torture children. So... <laughs> But we've known each other for so many years as we were young. And later on down the road, when I had moved out and was no longer on that block and out on my own, Jody and my sister would just pop up from time to time at my condo. And I was probably a good half hour away from where they lived. And they just pop up kind of unexpectedly. And later I found out that Jody was the instigator. Well, first of all, those trips. First of all, you had a condo. And that was the coolest thing because I was sleeping in your sister's room on a mattress on the floor. 
And you had your own condo with a cool patio. (laughs) So it was like, hey, Kelly, let's go see Zach. What is he doing? And she's like, okay. (laughs) So things grew from there and we uh, connected romantically and started to see each other in that light. I guess Jody saw before and I always kind of looked at Jody as, uh, you know, my little sister's best friend. So I never... I think they want way. the real story, Zach. Let's give them the real story. Well, no, that's the real story. I'll, we can we can move to the <laughs> next part of the story. You're dancing around the story. Let's give them the real version of it. Where the first kiss happened? Are we talking about <laughs> yeah. the first kiss? Okay. Yeah, let's do that one. just want to know which story we're talking about. So um, we began to communicate through text. And one night I was hanging out with my friends or something like that. And it was late in the evening. It was like a Friday night or something. And Jody texts me and we're talking and she says, oh, why don't you come over after you're done or whatever? So I come over to my parents' house where Jody was living. No one else was there, I believe, at that time at all. And so we sit down. Kelly was annoyed at me that I invited you over and she went to bed. She, oh, okay. she, was sleeping. <laughs> she was like, I don't want to hang out with him. I'm going to bed. So she went to bed. It was me and Gina. And I was like, hey, Zach, what are you doing? You should totally come over. And you were like, okay. You came over. It was like midnight, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. And then you were telling me all about your trip to Vegas. Vegas trip. Yeah. So we started talking about blackjack and how to play blackjack. And then we ended up playing probably the worst drinking game ever. And we started playing blackjack to learn how to play blackjack. He was teaching me how to play blackjack. And he's like, okay, if you lose, you have to take a shot. (laughs) And I started to realize that blackjack is a really, really fast game. (laughs) So we were both losing because you win and you lose and we were both drinking. And so we both are to this day in disagreement about how this happened. But Jody says I leaned out for the first kiss and I say she leaned out for the first kiss. And and we had totally you. We had a kiss and we kissed. Then the yucky part of the story is I fell asleep on the couch and. Nope. Okay. (laughs) So. um, (laughs) So. (laughs) <laughs> After that. Wait, now you're going to leave too much for imagination. It's just uh, I didn't have a good experience with alcohol that night. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Carry on. Okay. So that's kind of how it happened. I remember after that, I was like, this can't happen. You're my best friend's brother. And then what did you say? You said, I don't think this. we should keep doing this because you're my best friend's brother. And I said, well, you never know what could be unless you give it a shot. Yep. And I didn't mean a vodka shot. I just give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I remember it was like a few days later you came over and Mm -hmm. you were you were like, let's give this a shot. I'm like, no way. And then you said, how about we just go and do something fun? And I'm like, "Okay." so you took me to San Francisco, right? Yep. And this is another little funny story. So we're driving to San Francisco and it's kind of late after Jody got ready. And I have this good friend who knows about San Francisco City and all the restaurants and all this stuff. And so I call him with Jody in the car and he doesn't know who's in the car with me. I just say, hey, I'm taking a friend up to San Francisco. What's a good restaurant for us to go to? And I'm like, I'm trying to impress Jody. So I'll take her wherever <laughs> wherever he recommends to a nice restaurant. So I think in his mind, he thought I just meant like I got a friend, like one of my guys in the car and like we need something to eat. So he goes, oh, there's this place called Shalimar. So it's really good um, it wasn't Middle Eastern, it was Pakistani food. And, and the guy was actually Pakistani. So I take his word for it. And, and I've been to lots of nice restaurants with him. And 
And so the word Shalimar, I'm like, oh, that sounds wonderful. So we head up to Shalimar and we check and it's the kitchen. And I was thinking, ooh, the Shalimar. (laughs) Wow, fancy. We get there and outside of buildings on San Francisco, the streets don't exactly look all clean and fancy, but it has this big sign. I sign this as Shalimar. And so we go and park in the parking garage and go through that ordeal. And we walk into this restaurant and it is a small hole in the wall like late night Middle Eastern food place. And it's probably like 500 square feet. And the funny thing is it's like they have this, like the Coca-Cola cooler that has all the Coca-Cola bottles and there's like a home speaker on top and it's blasting this like Pakistani music with the bass and, and the lights are like dimming when the bass hits and it's like fluorescent <laughs> lights flickering, they're like flickering from the bass music. And we order food and we go sit down at the table and Jody's like, look over there and they don't serve beer or anything here, but there's a guy over like two tables from us with like a 40 ounce of beer and a brown bag. And like, it was just, oh it was gosh. the most funny experience. Like it's really cool though, because although it was like a stupid date experience, it was just something memorable. And we still talk about to this day because it was just fun. And we had a good time the rest of the night, but it was just silly restaurant that we went to. We walked around San Francisco and we drove around and then we watched the sunrise. See, that's how he got me. He got me by, I'm going to take you to this cool place that we can overlook the city and then watch the sunrise. I'm like, wow, okay. So. And then just to add some color to this, so you guys all know, um, this was 17 years ago when we first met. I don't know how much Jody's talked about me, but so it's 17 years ago when we first, not first met, but when we started seeing each other, that was in August of 2001, I remember. Yep. I was 20, mm-hmm. not even 21. Oh my gosh. I remember calling my grandma going, I don't know about Zach. He's so old. <laughs> and she was laughing like, He's 27. And I'm like, I know that's so old. (laughs) She just thought that was hilarious. I look back. I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do? Let's start there. And then we'll talk about parenting and marriage today and all of that. So what do you do? Absolutely. So first off, I'm an absolutely dedicated, loving, caring husband. Yes. What I try to do on a daily basis is be a good father and be there to just be the glue for my family. And then financially to support us, I am very passionate about what I do. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been so for more than a decade. In my current business, I have a, call it an internet marketing company, but basically what we do is help other businesses that sell digital products or physical products online, scale their business up and increase their revenues. And we do everything from business consulting to web development to digital marketing and the whole gamut of all that kind of digital stuff. I won't geek out on you guys with this stuff, but Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you, Zach. (laughs) It's really cool. It's you've been doing this for 10 years now, right? Yep. I remember when you first got into it. So you were doing um, loans before Mm -hmm. and then you got into doing all of what you're doing and you made a website, right? For a guy in a band. Yep. That was like your very first thing that you did. Oh, one of the early on websites, yeah. Yeah. So that was, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you made a website. So cool. And thousands of websites later, here we are today. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's what I do. I really enjoy it. And one of the biggest things that I'm blessed to be able to do that, I'm able to work from home. I have a home office um, where I spend probably too much time, but the benefit is I am there around my family. I'm able to be flexible with my schedule and be there for you and be there for the kids. And so that is something not everybody I know has, but it's something that's been instrumental in, in our life, especially with Remy and the things that we have to tend to in our day-to-day lives. 
So when it comes to parenting, we'll talk about that for a minute. So we had Julian and Tyson pretty close to right away. I think Julian was born a year after we got together. And then Tyson came a couple years after that. So I feel like our marriage has kind of evolved over the years based on what was going on in our life. And I feel like our marriage was like before Remy and after Remy. So what would you say are some of the challenges that we had before Remy was born? Sure. So we're like any other family that has their ups and downs. And I think some big things that impacted our lives is when we did get together originally and we got married and started to have kids, we were very young. And as we did that, I was still in the process of defining my career and being a real estate broker and a mortgage broker. And there's big financial shift and changes that happened over time with that business. And it was no longer a business that I wanted to entertain being in. So I think as the kids were young, the boys were very young at that time, 11 years ago, so five and two or three. And so we had big shifts in our life financially, and we were accustomed to living in certain fashion and and being able to take care of the kids and do things. And we had some financial hits to us during that time. Um, which caused the shift for me to change uh, my business and, and what I did. And during that time, I think it was challenging to be able to feed ourselves. And we had times where it was challenging to take care of stuff for the boys. And I think those were some times that were very tough on you and myself as a husband and wife. And I think the kids didn't suffer through any of that, but we were able to you know, really be there and, and do everything we can. But I think what we learned over the years during that time is as things are challenging, if we don't spend time on us as a husband and wife, then it leads to big problems. And if we're not communicating and we're not spending time and we're not working on us, then the kids are suffering from that. So um, we definitely went through some challenges early on in our marriage. And I think, I think what happened is that everything happened so fast with us that we just were having a grand old time with everything and we weren't growing. I mean, we were a really good couple. I remember the first year or two years, we would always say, wow, we don't fight. Like we've never gotten an argument. We said that for a long time. Also, it was just fun. We were going to Vegas several times a year, going on nice vacations. We sent our son to an expensive private school and we had fun. And then we lost everything. And I think we just weren't strong enough as a couple to really get through that hard part of our marriage. So it was hard for a few years. I was talking to Julian yesterday and I was telling him, I'm like, I don't know if you realize, but we really struggled financially for a while. And he said, oh yeah, I know. And so I told him the story. I said, I had $3. $3 was all I had. And it was Halloween. And I went to Goodwill to get you a Halloween costume. And the only one that I could get was like this monster kind of thing. And then you hated it. Like you didn't want to wear it. And that was like the worst feeling is, well, this is the only thing that we can get. And I love the fact that the boys don't remember that. So I think we did a good job just protecting them from the hardships. They never knew anything but love. So yeah, absolutely. I think we did everything in our power during those times. And those are tough times, you know, as related to parenting. I mean, we did, I think, everything we could. And I think you did an amazing job as a nurturing mother. And I was really working hard to try to make ends meet and get things. And and you even, you know, stepped up and 
took employment when the time came that we needed that and when I started my new business and things. So, I mean, from the parenting side, I think we, yeah, did a good job of, I don't want to say shielding, but we just made sure that the boys' needs were met and that we were taking care of them and doing everything we can to focus on them to be happy and to be normal and not have all those stresses from anything else. We were bearing all the stress, I guess, and definitely making sure that they weren't bearing any of that. So from my perspective, it was hard in our relationship for a few years, but it got better. And what would you say were things that got us to have a better relationship after going through all of that? A good question. I would have to say that just, first of all, perseverance to the commitment that we had to each other because they were really tough times, taking the effort to work on our relationship from the inside. And when I say that, I mean from looking at like internally to see what is it that we have to develop and work on. And for myself, I know that there was, don't want to sound cliche, but like listening to you and listening to the meaning behind what you're saying and the things that you are having a difficult time with in our relationship and whatnot, and then putting in work to work on those things. And it's not easy and it's not overnight, but that would be the biggest things that I could pinpoint, like being an open ear to listen and not judge and try not to respond or react emotionally to the situations that we're in and then go back and dig and try to say, okay, what is it? Not take blame for it, but take accountability, I guess you could say for my own actions and figure out what it is that I can do to improve. And there may be things on your side that I want you to improve on, but that's not something that I can control. I can only control myself. So I think listening to you and really understanding what it was that you had issues with or the things that you're looking for. I was going to say, I think that you did a lot of work in that time because there were times where I was done. I was so done. I'm like, this is just too much. At that point, I felt like marriage isn't even worth it. Like this isn't worth it. I'd just rather be single. It'd be so much easier to be single. And the reason why I wasn't single is because even though things were really hard with us, you didn't give up. And I would say that if you felt the same exact way that I did, we wouldn't be married anymore. So you were the glue at that point, even though you felt really insecure in our marriage, as did I, you just didn't give up. And for me personally, I think that successful marriages are getting past the breaking point. If you can get through something really difficult and you can somehow overcome that thing, instantly your marriage is much stronger. Because after that, after we were able to start talking about everything, because I think that that was our problem, is we danced around a lot of really important topics And when everything was all laid out, there were no secrets. There was nothing to hide anymore. So we were able to be honest and raw and kind of build from that place. So I think that once we became pregnant with Remy, we were already in a good spot. That if she was born a few years earlier, I don't think we would make it. Would you agree? Well, no, because I'd persevere. And <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just I think that's very important. There's those tough times. And if it happened a few years earlier, it might have put a lot of stress. But I won't I won't say that it wouldn't work. I would just say that it would take a lot more work to make it through. Oh, see, that's why it works, because you're like, no, I wouldn't give up. Yeah. OK, so let's talk about 
what it was like when I became pregnant with Remy because, I mean, we changed our whole lives. Yeah, I think that when that happened, we were already moving along in such a better place. And we were looking at decisions for our whole family, not just for Remy. And we relocated and we did that for the benefit of our boys. And for Remy, we wanted to get our kids into an area where the community had great schools. And so we made a big leap. And I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but we made the decision to live in San Jose, California. We were both born and raised in San Jose, California, pretty much. And we'd never lived outside, never really lived away much. And we made a decision and picked this random place that we live now off of the recommendation of one of Jody's friends in high school to come up and look in this area. And we found an amazing area with good community and and good schools and a little bit slower paced and made a big decision to do that for our kids and relocated for our kids and for ourselves. We just wanted to live in, I guess, not the super fast paced city life and just a hair slower. (laughs) And uh, we made that big move. And I remember very clearly you were pregnant and we had all these talks and we decided to up and move. And you were, when we finally made the decision and actually moved, you were about six months pregnant, I believe, right? Yeah. 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 So we moved here in June of 2013 and that was a big decision we made. And I think that was really cool for the boys at the time and for us. And it was an exciting thing and it was new and I think we made a good decision on where we decided to land. And there's a whole lot more, I guess, we can go into. Yeah. So I think I wasn't going to go a whole lot into Remy, but I think it is important to talk about that because that is the reason why we've had to work so much on our marriage now. So we moved to Northern California, a couple hours away from San Jose, and Remy was born and things were good, right? Life was good. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty exciting. We had uh, two boys and then we had a daughter and it was super exciting. And when she was first born, it was pretty amazing. We had a lot of family always visiting and we had Remy and it was just super exciting to start to watch her develop from you know a baby and, and move on. I remember in the delivery room before she was born, this is something that sticks out in my head. I'll never forget it. I said to you, I said, so we're having a daughter and you need to protect her. And I remember you saying, of course, of course. And I think that from my side, it seemed like you had made a commitment or a vow to yourself that our little girl, you were going to protect her and take care of her. And it just seemed that when she was born, you had this bond that I didn't see as much with the boys. So you really shined as a dad when she was born. And that made me fall in love with you even more. So I just wanted to throw that in there that I think you changed when Remy was born for the better. So I I can speak to that. I would say that with the boys, my love is the same for both the boys and the girls. But with boys, it's like, you've heard me say this before, but it's a phrase that we've come to utilize. But with boys, a dad's job is to make sure they don't get hurt too bad. <laughs> so you have to push them and you have to get them out there and experiencing things. But with a girl, I don't know, it, it is different. And you just like, I'll just say you're my queen and she is my princess when she was born. And I was just like, I have to treat her like I treat you. Um, I have to teach the boys to treat you and their sisters and women like in the vision of how I take care of you and take care of our daughters and moms and all the women in my life. 
sisters and such. And with Remy, I don't have those responsibilities. It's a different <laughs> side, but yeah, it was uh, an amazing thing. It's just your, your little girl. It's like, I can't even put it into words, to be honest. You're making me cry. <laughs> yeah, I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't want to change the mood here, but I want to talk about when Remy had her first seizure when she was nine months old. Yeah, probably the scariest. I know you'd say the same thing. The scariest thing that ever happened or that I've ever experienced. You probably told the story before, but I'll revisit it. It's a pretty brief story. We were laying in bed and it was morning time and you had left to go to the kitchen or something or Remy was kind of fussing that night and that morning she was fussing really bad. I remember she was kind of crying and you were taking care of her. And then when you got up to go to the kitchen, you were like, can you take care of her? And I put her in my arms and she was crying and I just, you know, cradled her and I was just. And it's because you always had a way with putting our babies to sleep. Yeah, You always had this like little pat thing that you would do. (laughs) So yeah, I cradled her and one hand pats the butt and one hand pats on their back. And that's something I had always used. And I remember I started doing that. She was in my arms when we were laying in bed and I started doing that. And her cry started to turn down to more of a whimper and she just got quieter and quieter. And then she got silent. I could just feel she shook a little bit and she kind of was like almost motionless, but like just something different that I've never felt before. And I looked and her eyes were just rolled back and I freaked out. And I think I screamed for you. I was like, Jody, Jody. And I sat up and it was kind of dark in our room. So I remember I stood up the curtains were closed. I could see like our door was open and so I could see light through there. And I walked out of our door and I walked into one of the boys' bedrooms because the curtains were open. I could see light. And she was basically not breathing and her eyes were like rolled back and deviated and she just looked lifeless. And it looked like she was dying. It's the most part I could explain. And her face turned completely blue. And I remember you were already on the phone calling 911 and I had never seen a seizure before, but she was having a seizure And it was a really bad seizure. And when she had it, she stopped breathing. And that's why she turned like purple, basically. And it was just absolutely terrifying. And I remember the 911 operator was walking us through how to perform mouth to mouth. And I was giving her mouth to mouth. And she was kind of like still purple. And the ambulance came really fast, which was super amazing. And um, basically, they took over and, you know, gave her oxygen, started giving her medications and ended up having to take her to the hospital and she had a seizure for approximately 45 minutes and she was nine months old at this time. I don't know if we said that. So she was very little. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I rode in the ambulance with her and you and the boys were following. What were you thinking on the ride to the hospital? It was terrified. I felt better that she was in, you know, professionals hands and there was like a team of them. I was like, I don't remember. It seemed like there was five or six. They were, reassuring and seemed very confident, but I felt better in the ride, but at the same time, like freaking out, like, you know, what the heck is going on with our daughter? And I don't think I registered like exactly what's going on. I just know like she's in the back of the ambulance and we're going to the hospital because she's like turning purple. They told us she was having a seizure. So I knew that. And they said she's going to be okay. So I guess I took some confidence in what they said, but. But we just couldn't figure out why it was happening. Everyone kept saying, well, what was her fever? Like what yeah, was her temperature? Yeah. And we were like, she, she didn't have a she temperature. Have a she wasn't sick. Yeah. Cause for those that don't know, it's very common that kids will have febrile seizures from a high fever basically. And so I guess that's the most common thing when kids come in, that's the case 80, 90% of the time for the ERs. But yeah, they kept asking that and that wasn't the case for Remy. So after that, Remy, she had, I think four more seizures like that, four or five. I don't know. <laughs> She's had so many now it's, 
hard to remember exactly how many. At the time, we remembered everything about every seizure. Now, if she had one yesterday, I'm like, I don't know, was long or short? I don't know. But fast forward, she spent a lot of time in the hospital. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, I guess that's kind of important. We can kind of breeze through it. We, we meaning you, Jody, and myself and Remy, have spent much time in the hospital and we've been in the hospital and when Remy's in the hospital, both of us stay with her for the most part, um, every 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And she's been there, you know, in the hospital, 30 days, one stint, 45 days, another stint. The very first time when she was nine months, a few days she was in the hospital, they discharged her and we didn't know what to do. And then we were back there the next day and we were there for another, like, I think two weeks the first time. So we spent a lot of time with Remy in the hospital and it's a scary thing to see that for those that, you know, may have children with epilepsy that are listening. If that's your case, I mean, you know, some of the fears and terrors, but the time that you spend in the hospital is a scary time. And uh, what was it like, though, from your point of view, because you were running a business and we had boys and Remy was in the hospital. So what was it like to try to juggle all of that word chaotic? (laughs) But I mean, um, the number one focus was Remy because it's like she's in this life-threatening situation every 20 minutes or every hour or two hours as she's having these intense seizures and teams of nurses and doctors come in. So that was just super intense. And then balancing that with business, I don't stress too much on that. I have a really good business partner and team that helped out with that. And I was able to spend some time, you know, when Remy was sleeping or whatnot and fill it in and work remotely. And again, I'm blessed that I can't even imagine for a family that has you know, regular office jobs or regular go-to-work jobs, which is a majority of people that that would be so, so much more challenging. So I give props to families that are able to work through that because now your spouse isn't there to support you. So we were able to stay together in the hospital, support each other and support Remy and be there 24 seven, just to make sure that we did everything we could. That was a blessing to be able to do that with work. And then for the boys, that was probably a tougher challenge because The good thing was at that time we had family that was able to step in and their grandparents, my parents and brothers and sisters and people that were able to just come in and help you and I to, you know, make sure the boys were loved and were able to continue school and all that stuff because the hospital is not close to home either. And that was tough to be away from the boys and not see them. And then when they come, they'd have to, you know, be in the hospital and they're seeing Remy. So all that was really tough and they were younger too. So I wish that, you know, we didn't have to be away from them so much. That's all I could say because it was tough. We get to see them when they come visit and occasionally and here and there. And so that was challenging. But uh, the boys are strong too. And they were very supportive of their sister and and us. And they understood. They get it. They're old enough at that point to have some understanding of the severity of what was going on. Yeah. So something that I'll say, I'm kind of switching subjects, but on the same subject I think I felt it a little, the stress in our marriage when we were in the hospital because we were both tired, we were both scared, we were both stressed, we were worried, we were trying to manage doctors and nurses and decisions and all of that. And I remember when you're in that state, I think that any parent that has a child with special needs or medical needs knows this, that when you're in that kind of state, you're just kind of bickering and frustrated with each other. And I remember feeling that way. But one thing that I also remember is watching you and how organized you were and how 
you spoke to the doctors and how you navigated all of that. If I didn't have you in that setting, I think it would have been much tougher. So a lot of marriages don't survive something that traumatic. But when you work on marriage and it's important to you, having that partner can make everything so much easier. So I am really happy that we had gone through so much in our marriage before because going into a situation like being in the hospital and not knowing if your child is going to live or not, or you don't know if the decision that you're making about a medication is going to have lasting impact, all of that, it puts a lot of stress on things. So I'm really thankful that we had a strong marriage because if we didn't, it would have been that much harder. Yeah, absolutely. I think those times when you experience something like that, it's very challenging. You're sleeping in chairs and hospital beds and you're constantly stressing over the situation of what's going on with your child. And it puts a lot of stress and you are thinking about whatever's going on through me and I'm thinking about this and, you know, maybe we agree on care or don't agree on care or want to discuss care and There's a lot of stuff going on in that situation. From your perspective, how does it work with taking care of Remy and our marriage? What works with that and what doesn't? I'm going to separate those from Remy and our marriage. So let's talk about marriage first because I think that was the main topic. I think when I'm interacting with you, some of the things that I've learned are that I need to not be reactional and not respond reactionally. And this is something I learned early on with us too, like when we went through our original challenges after the first few years of our marriage, I would react. So I'd be reactional and like you'd say something or you'd be upset about something and then I'd react and say, well, why do you do this? Or why is this? Or, you know, and then it becomes a fight. That's how a fight comes. You're not happy with something and then I bounce back at it. And so why I bring that up is because not being reactional allows you to think about something. And literally sometimes you'd get upset with me, especially early on then and in other situations, sometimes you're not happy when you say something to me, or it could be that you're angry, or it could be that you ask a question and I just don't even respond to you. Like, I'm not sure. If I say I'm not sure, sometimes you don't like that answer. You want to engage me in a situation or you want to get an answer, maybe because you're upset or at a situation with a doctor or a situation with me or whatever it is. So that's one tool that I have in my tool belt that I've, I guess, developed over the years. And I don't know if that's what you're asking. Am I, am I aligned with what you're asking? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So for the men out there, if there's any men listening or any women that share this with their husbands, I think one tool is just, you know, not being reactional because sometimes you start reacting and that just turns into a fight and it doesn't progress anywhere. It doesn't help. You're just adding fuel to the fire. So respond in time, like take your time to think about something and respond to it instead of reacting. And that's one tool that's helped me over the years. Yeah, actually, I think both of us. Yeah, I think we've both learned like now we're kind of at the point where we'll say we need to talk about this later. <laughs> We're better at like, okay, this conversation is good, but if we have it right it's now, it's not going to make might. any progress. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to have forward movement here. No. So no, yeah, I mean, not reacting and just what you're mentioning, I think also responding in time. So in the appropriate time when both parties are receptive to an open adult conversation and it's not fueled by emotion or fueled by a specific situation or moment in time. And then not to say not talk about it right away, but depending on the situation, revisiting that shortly thereafter and thinking about it and then responding appropriately and addressing it. This is cliche. You're going to tell me I've said this forever, but ever since the beginning of our marriage, I've always said communication is important. And this kind of relates to the same topic. We need to talk about things when it's not in the heat of the moment. We're not upset. And what that means is having regular communication. When it's not 
something that's triggered by anger or triggered by a situation and having appropriate time to actually discuss things. That's really hard. That's really, really hard in a marriage because you're moving and a lot of couples are both working or are both busy doing certain things. One person's taking care of the children, one person's working. And like you get that half hour at the end of the day when the kids are down for bed and you're done with work. And it's like, do we want to talk about the kids situation now or whatever situation we want to talk about? It's like we're both tired from the end of the day. And that's the times where you get to fill that little conversation in spending quality time together with your spouse and putting your marriage first. Some people might not agree with this, but I'll just state it how I feel. Putting your marriage first and foremost above your children. I'll kind of unpack that and say that you need to focus on your marriage and be strong. So if a husband and wife are focusing and spending time to take care of their marriage and their relationship and their communication and all those skills and making sure that they're taken care of, then they are going to be much stronger and more passionate about taking care of their kids and have some renewed energy as well to take care of the kids. That helps the couple be on track. That helps them communicate about the kids, communicate about personal things, and just making sure that they have time for that. That, I think, has been crucial to the success of our marriage. Sometimes I remember when we first started doing like date nights and things like that after we had kids, and that's really hard, like finding a sitter, and finding someone to watch the kids. And I do recommend a sitter over like family. It's a little bit more <laughs> flexible or you feel better about being out when you're paying someone to watch the kids versus just family member watching them. But whatever works for you. But having that time out really allows you to speak, you know, go out and have dinner and do something fun and communicate at that time. Because now you're not stressing out over the whole day. You're actually relaxed and you're in a situation and environment where you can actually communicate as a couple without all the other stresses of things running around or kids up sleep upstairs or kids are running around and you're trying to talk and you know all these different distractions make it tough so it's one of those things in the beginning i think you felt really bad like stepping away from the kids on a date night or something like that and yeah. I, I think though it's been super crucial and you'll agree i'm sure now that it's super important to our marriage yeah you know what's interesting about that is for the past i don't know year we've been solidly doing date night once a week, yeah. which is the most often that we've ever had a standing date night. And our marriage has never been as good. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Absolutely. So I think there's something to that. But before we were doing date night, because we've really had to arrange our lives and schedules and date night is an expense, like it's an expense of our family it's amazing to have date night. But before that, we didn't have a babysitter. We didn't have anyone who watched the kids except for family. So there wasn't all that often that we were able to go out. Do you remember what we used to do? We used to put the kids to bed and then we'd have a date on the on the porch. porch. <laughs> <laughs> we'd get wine and blankets and our chairs and we would sit out there and we would talk for hours, hours and hours and hours. You, and You didn't mention your heater. Oh, yeah. I had a personal heater. I had a whole setup. I had the heater, <laughs> the blankets and the chairs. And we'd put the kids to bed and we'd go out there. We'd have our wine and we would just talk about everything. Yeah. So, you know, now there's no blankets and heaters involved, but it's the same thing. And I think that's what's really made our marriage just work. We have the same goals and we talk about them. And anytime we make any decisions with the kids, we have a conversation before we make those decisions. 
Absolutely. So as a partnership, I think we're a really good partnership in parenting. But then there's another part. So we're good parenting our kids, but then there's also just our marriage, just you and me. Sometimes when you don't spend a lot of time with your spouse, then the time that you do spend with your spouse is all devoted on talking about the kids because it's just a download of the whole week or the whole few weeks or month or whatever. Like this is what's going on and this is what I'm thinking. I think it could be that download of the kids and it's also like personal stuff between each other too. So if there's any issues, if that time that you speak goes as far apart as two or three or four months that you went out to dinner or went out and spent a couple hours together alone, there's going to be other stuff that comes with that, not just the kids. It's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff. And then you got work stuff you want to talk about. And then you got all these emotions start coming out and all of a sudden date night turns into fight night. night or, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that, what, what else is going to happen when you have that much stuff to talk about in two hours? Like something's going to come up and someone's not going to want to talk about that and they're going to want to just do this and it turns into fight night. So yeah. Okay, I, so I think, what do you suggest? What do you suggest then? How do you get out of that? Because how many dates have we come home not speaking to each other? There's been quite a few. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that, <laughs> that but there's been some of those. <laughs> No, I think, um, well, frequency is important, like, right? So I think our standing date night of doing once a week is amazing. And if anyone can do that, like if you can work that in your schedule and lifestyle and make it happen, then that is super awesome. And it's working for us. I can just speak from our experience. I think that when we miss one week, we're kind of like off. It's like, oh, what happened to date night? Yeah, we're like, we're really looking forward to the next date night. It's like, not that everyone can do that. I understand that. So I mean, we weren't able to, to do that. No, yeah, there absolutely. was like it's, times when Remy was in the hospital, or we couldn't even couldn't even walk out of the room with her. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So so we kind of did things like we would go to Costco together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, we had our Costco dates. That's right. We had mm-hmm. it was like our Thursday or Tuesday. I can't remember Costco dates, and we'd go Costco shopping for two hours. And boy, that was fun. Just kidding. No, <laughs> no, but that was still cool because we got to get out and just kind of spend time together. But no, I think you figure out whatever. And this is just my advice for anybody seeking it like if it's once every two months and that's all you can do but right now you're doing once every year then do once every two months whatever you can actually make happen just figure out a time something like a goal that you can achieve to spend that time together and then do it consistently and then after you're doing that consistently you should see some improvement it should be something that you notice that's like wow this is a good thing and then as you can work on that and you say oh that definitely is helping us then increase it and go for once every two months or once every month. If you and I had to change things right now and we had to do once every month, then that would still be really cool. And I think a good thing that's probably achievable for most couples is like twice a month. Once a week, great. But twice a month is probably, I think if you and I did a date night twice a month, we would have a sufficient amount of time to discuss things. But still, when it goes to that two week period, it's like, okay, there's a lot more to unpack in that conversation with the kids and things. And you know what the most important part of that is, is putting it on the calendar. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Planning (laughs) it. If you don't, you won't go out. It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say this too, because, you know, we've talked to other couples and we make the same kind of recommendation because it's worked really well for us. And so when we talk to other people and they're like, oh yeah, and we always make this recommendation. So what I will say is a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's really hard to find someone to watch the kids. And we understand. And it's hard for some people. Our kids, you know, may have autism or may have special needs that are challenging or may have a seizure disorder. And our child has both. She's autistic and she has a seizure disorder. So it's not easy. We understand that. But we made it a mission to find somebody that we could really, really trust with Remy 
and with her needs and keeping her safe and having all that as like most important and someone who can have a lot of fun with her. So we actually have worked really hard at that and that could be a whole nother podcast episode, I'm sure, but how to find a sitter. But anyways, it takes time. It takes time. You don't just go, Hey, here's the kids. And then you leave. You like, we started having Elizabeth at first, she came over while we were all still in the house. The house and so doing she laundry was just or in one room and we were in the other room. Yep. And we did that for months actually yeah, yeah. before we actually left the house. And then when we did leave the house, it wasn't for that long. It was just going to get a coffee or going to get dinner, going to the grocery store. So, you know, it took time, but it's so worth it, right? Oh, absolutely. So worth it. Absolutely. So you got to put in that work, but yeah, I promise you it's worth it. So another thing I'm going to add, this is from a mother's perspective. It's my perspective. Something else that has really helped our marriage. I know it has helped our marriage is I was overwhelmed for a long time and you were working, you were running a business, working a lot. and I was trying to take care of two boys, homeschool one, and then have Remy. And what I realized is Remy, she can't entertain herself. So someone is always having to be with her. And it's been like that since she's been little. And so when things would come up like, oh, we're out of milk, we're out of this. I couldn't go to the store. I was just unfunctional. I couldn't do anything except for take care of Remy. And something I appreciate is I came to you and I said, I just can't do it anymore because I was always used to doing everything for the boys and it was no problem. But when you have someone with special needs, if you're used to doing things all by yourself, it comes to a point where you just can't. So what I appreciate is when I said that you went into solution mode and you were like, well, we need help. We need to have someone to come over, watch Remy. So you could go to the grocery store or you could go take a shower, get the laundry done. And I was really resistant to that at first because I'm like, I don't trust anyone. So you suggested that. And then you also stepped up in a huge way to help with the boys and to help with things like laundry and doing rides and all of that. So I think what Remy has done to our marriage, I think it strengthened it. And I also think I've seen a big difference in you. You are much more attentive. You're much more engaged with the family. And I don't feel like I have all the pressure on me. So what is your advice for any mom out there who's really struggling and they just feel like their husband's not helping, like what is your advice on a conversation? Do you know what I mean? Ooh, that's a loaded question. It's <laughs> a loaded question. So I don't know that I could speak directly from experience and what I'm going to say, because this is not how we did it. But I've read on this topic quite a bit. And even recently, as we've had some discussions about responsibilities of what we do in our marriage and with our children, and our parenting and like you just said, I stepped up in different areas and I think it's important. And I'll just say different men have different perspective on marriage and parenting and what their responsibility is. But I'll just say that I think if you are struggling with that with your husband, then I think just listing out all the stuff that has to be done on a piece of paper and 
Jody, I know you hate this. I always say make a list, make a spreadsheet, make a Google sheet, because it's something that you can look at and see. Because if we want to talk about something and there's all this information and all these things and we're just talking about it, then it's not real. It's just a complaining. Yeah, it's just complaining or it's just a dialogue. But when we list out these like 40 things, like take Nora to school every day, get Remy's lunch made. When we list out all these things that have to be done on a piece of paper, for example, we can then look at it and say, okay, there's like, we've gotten into conversations about this. I feel like I work a lot and I'm financially supporting the family and that consumes a lot of my time. And that's true, but it's not the only thing I do. And you take care of the kids. There's an intersection at the end of both of those days. There's other stuff that has to be done that we both have to share. And I can't just call it quits because I finished my work for the day. There's other things I have to support with the kids. And we both have our day jobs, even though your day job is taking care of the kids and mine is working at my business. There's a start to that and an end to that. So in the morning, there's time before that. And the evening, there's time after that. And there's things that have to be done. And so circling back to what I was saying is having a list of all those things in our marriage, you may pick up more of the household things that are there because I am working during the day. But then with the kids, there's like all these things. So I would just say, you know, even if you don't share this with your husband, write a list of it all and say, okay, these are all the things I'm taking care of. Maybe I'm not taking care of it. I can't get to it all. But here's the list of all the things that have to be taken care of. And include just everything on there. Yeah, you know what? Here's an example. I have a perfect example of this. And this has been really cool. So one of the recent struggles that I've been having in the past couple years is disciplining the boys. So our boys right now, they're teenagers. And we have a list of chores that they're supposed to do every day. And every day for years, I have been on them. Did you do your chores? Did you do your chores? And it's always been, no, no, they don't care. They don't want to do it. It always ended in me being really frustrated. So one day I went to Zach and I said, I need help with the chore situation. I need you to help me with that. And that was the first time that I was specific on what I wanted you to help with. And you were like, okay, I got it. And you took that over. So now when it comes to chores, now you have your method, right? You have control of the Wi-Fi. And when they tell you that they've done their chores, you check the chores and then you turn their Wi-Fi on. I'm not even a part of that. I don't deal with that. You deal with the whole chores. And if they come to me, hey, can you turn my Wi-Fi on? I'm like, I don't even have access to do that. So you'll have to go through dad. And that is a huge weight off of something that I was dealing with. (laughs) I just, this is, it's on topic, but it's off track. I just have to speak to that for like a half a second. We, Jody and I have struggled to get our two boys to do chores for like a decade (laughs) since they were young. We've always felt like they should have some kind of chores and we could never manage to get them to do anything. Like I swear. And once we attached Wi-Fi to it, it was they don't get Wi-Fi unless they do their chores. And then we have like a app on the phone that we just turn the Wi-Fi on and off and set them out of time. All of a sudden, they do their chores every freaking day. It's like clockwork because if they don't do their chores, they don't get their Wi-Fi. I mean, it's we're giving them a reward. You know, I don't want to say they're entitled, but they think Wi-Fi is just a standard thing that the house comes with and they get to use anytime they want. So we took that away and said, that's a reward. You have to earn that reward. And we don't have a lot of big chores. It's like take out the garbage cans to the street once a week and take out the two garbage bags in the kitchen and clean up your bathroom that you make a mess in. Like not the whole house. We don't have them doing crazy chores. They're pretty basic things, but it was so hard to get them to do them. And now it's so easy. So you got to talk about this app. Talk about the app. So we got Orbi, O-R-B-I routers. The part that does the magic is called Circle by Disney. And so you have to get 
a device for your house, a router. We'll put the links in the show notes so you can find out what he's talking about. Yeah. And you can email me at Zach Warshawski at Gmail, Z-A-C-H-W-A-R-S-H-A-W-S-K-Y at gmail.com. Gosh, I don't know why Jody married me with that long old last name, but (laughs) you can email me any questions about it. (laughs) So sorry, I just wanted to touch on that for a second. We can never get them to do chores. But I think to be making a list for yourself internally is first like an easy way to kind of just say, okay, whoa, there's a lot of stuff. Yes, I need help. Now, I'm just going to tell you how men are, in my opinion. For the most part, men are simple and they just need clear direction. (laughs) So I'll tell you how it happens with Jody and I in the past. Like she just brought up a good example of how it happened. Now she came to me with a specific request and I took action on it. Before it's usually Jody would get frustrated. You'd be overwhelmed and you'd unleash on me and you'd like come in my office or we like it'd be like random. You're not helping and I'm doing this and no one's listening and no one cares. Yeah, you had like a really bad day and all kinds of stuff happened. And then like you're unleashing on me. And that's where my not reacting comes in, because if I reacted, then we'd be in a big fight. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, you're venting, basically. And I'd let you vent. But then at the end of that venting session, there wasn't much forward movement happening or, you know, progress made because it was like, OK, there's all this stuff. OK, so where can I help? Like, what is it that you want? Like, well, I don't know, you don't do this and that. And so it's really hard in that situation. So I think my advice, and I think Jody's learned this on her own, is just be direct. Like I tell Jody, tell me what can I do to help? What is it that you need my help with? And not formatted in that complaining, venting. You know, you can vent. Obviously, that's something that everyone needs to vent now and then about something. But if you're looking to make progress and getting your husband to take on some responsibilities around the house, then come to them and be direct and say, hey, I could really use your help. Your daughter's not doing chores regularly. And I really, really, really need your help to come up with a plan and implement a solution to get this done. Can you help me with that? Approach it like that, like asking for support. Same thing for me. If there's something that I need help with with Jody, or I tell myself the story that, oh, they're not doing this and they need to help with this. And like you get this thing in your head. But instead of thinking that it's an, a required action or act, like come at it in a different angle. Like, hey, I really could use your help with this. Do you think you could help me work on this? And don't try to attack two or three or four like needs at once. I'd be honest, like, if you want to make forward motion, just ask for one thing at a time. Like say, hey, I'd really help. But the this list be really is big. so long. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, if you came at me like, I need you to take over these 12 things, I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to be overwhelmed. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you can ask me one today and then ask me one tomorrow. But I'm just giving you my advice on how I think that men would probably respond better than the, the venting, frustrated, complaining I need and all over the place and just be direct. Talk yeah, I think another thing when we're talking about Remy specifically, because parenting and then parenting someone with special needs, it's like two different categories. So with Remy, there's a lot of layers. She's got a big team. She's got her ABA therapy and her school and we have an IEP and she has a nurse and we have neurologists and doctors and all of that. Something that has really worked for us is we have our things that we deal with. And I think we come to an agreement So for me, I work a lot with the nurse and the teacher and I kind of am overseeing all the things that are happening from a day to day. But then you, you're dealing with insurance companies and oxygens and refills and all of that. So you have your domain when it comes to the care of how Remy's world functions And that's probably a frustration with a lot of the parents is one person has everything. But if you can list out all the things like, you know, we have a nurse and we have ABA therapy and we have neurologists. So say 
I'm talking about the neurologist, I could say to you, hey, can you just deal with the neurologist and fill me in on stuff? So then it's not, well, did you call him? Oh, no, did you? One person is assigned to one task and it's kind of agreed on on both sides. That's how we're able to be a team when it comes to parenting Remy. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many things involved with parenting in general and then parenting with special needs. Like you said, it adds a bunch more layers. And I think now that we're having this conversation here, we can probably make that list and look at it ourselves again because there's certain areas that I take on and you take on that we'd naturally just gravitate towards. So I think it's important to know that, I forgot the term you used, but their specialty or their domain of what they're really good at. And so I'm really good at like tactical, scheduled, communication type stuff, ordering, all that stuff. So yeah, I take on all the making sure we order equipment for her and making sure that we follow up on all these different people that are communicating with us about her and and I'm, um, I'm really good at telling you all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can make the list then when we do that. <laughs> so I think, yeah, you gravitate towards so, so figuring out because there's going to be certain things that are in your wheelhouse and certain things can be in your husband's wheelhouse that they can take on. And so as you make that list, there's probably certain things you're going to see on there that, oh, I'm not good at this, but oh, my husband's probably good at this or oh, I'm great at this. My husband's probably not so great at this. And you just start dipping up the list. And if the right things are assigned to the right people, then it makes everything easier for everybody. So, yeah, I think that sums up that part, though. I think making a list and approaching it from being direct and getting help with one thing. That was to circle back to what your original question was. Yeah, for sure. So I think we've covered a lot in this conversation. Is there anything else you want to add? Any more advice you want to give to moms, dads, marriages, anything? So I think what I'll say for the moms listening out there is special needs parenting is also challenging on your husbands, just as it is on you. And I think men also have a tougher time sharing or opening up about like their feelings on that stuff. So what I would just say is as one part, be sensitive to what's going on on both sides. We were just covering the list and how you approach your husband. I think being direct, even if you're coming from frustration, but Like I said, moving that to a time where you can speak when you're not frustrated is going to work better. And then coming at things from an angle when you're trying to communicate um, where you're being direct and what's your intention and what's your goal out of whatever conversation you're having and thinking about those things are helpful in that process that I see from you, Jody, as we move along. For any of the husbands listening, I think just being dedicated and really looking internally at yourself and the areas you can improve in because we're by no means perfect. And We may think we are, we may think we're doing a great job, but when you step back and look at what your actions are and what you're doing from the outside, there's always going to be deficiencies and always things that we can work on. So, I mean, I've had to look at a lot of stuff over the years and, and I'm still nowhere near perfect, but you know, it's looking at that and trying to figure out what actions can I improve on myself to help my marriage and to help my relationship with my children, help myself be a better father. So that's some of the advice I can give. And then what would you say to the couple that is at their breaking point right now and they're trying to raise kids, their plates are full, they are at the breaking point. There's just nothing in the marriage left. What do you have to say to people in that place? Three words, don't give up. And I know like in the early parts of our marriage where you were done, I know you were done like at certain stages where there was just a lot of pressure and stuff just wasn't going right. And I knew, I knew you were done, like, but I didn't give up. And I'm like, no, this is temporary. This is not permanent. And you said some words earlier too, in this interview that you said, 
I think your words were, I thought it would just be easier to be single. And I thought that too sometimes, but I didn't ever act on that. I just said, nope, this isn't easy, but nothing that has good rewards is ever easy. So here we are today and we got through hard times. So circling back to my message was we don't give up to both husband and wife. Work hard, like look at yourself, look internally and see what it is that you can do to improve the situation yourself. Like worry about yourself. What can you do? to improve yourself. You can't fix the other person. You can't change the other person's actions, but both sides should be looking at themselves internally. And we get it. Both of us get it. It's tough. It's not easy, but that's the advice I give. Don't give up and look internally and see what you can do to work on yourself. Yes, because a good marriage is worth it. It's worth all of the work. Absolutely. 100%. 110%. Yes. My love. Oh, Zach, thank you so much. You're welcome. Now the world can see just why I love you so much. So thank you so much. And um, we'll have to do this again, don't you think? Yeah, we'll do it on our date night. (laughs) We could. (laughs) Maybe we'll just start a new podcast on marriage. I don't know. Date night. We'll call it date night. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. All right. We're going to put our heads together. (laughs) Next week, we'll have a new podcast called Date Night. Look for it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't look. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so we will wrap this up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.